Side Hustle Show 334. This is Unfair Advantages. How to unlock yours and a few that have helped me. What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because you are not throwing away your shot. There's a topic that no one really talks about in entrepreneurship or online business, and that's the unfair advantages someone had starting out. Behind every killer case study, behind every income report, behind every, you know, quote, overnight success, there's a backstory that you don't always hear. The truth is, no one ever really starts from scratch. We bring our own history, our own perspectives, and really our own baggage to the table. In your side hustle, even if you might feel like it, you're not starting from scratch either. If nothing else, you've got the advantage of learning from everyone who's gone before you. Like Newton said, we stand on the shoulders of giants. In this episode, I want to share some unfair advantages that undoubtedly have helped me, but offer up some you might have working in your favor as well. But first, what do I mean by an unfair advantage? You might be tempted to think of an unfair advantage as some proprietary technology or a top secret formula like the recipe for Coke, or your mind might go somewhere else, like steroids or performance-enhancing drugs or a rich uncle who left somebody a fortune. I think an unfair advantage is anything you can use to get started, stay started, and connect with customers. It's the fuel that fires creation, connection, and contribution. It could be a new technology or some invention of yours. Improve upon what's already out there, right? Look at what Pat Flynn and Caleb Wojcik are doing with the SwitchPod tripod, totally destroying it on Kickstarter. Being first to market could be an advantage. It could be a personality trait like persistence or curiosity. Where the magic often happens is in combining two or more traits in a unique way. I first heard this described by Scott Adams, the creator of the comic strip Dilbert. I don't remember if he had a name for this business idea method, but the premise was to look for the areas in your life where you're better than average. You don't have to be the best in the world, but say you're in the upper half or upper quartile, then start to combine those areas. In Scott's case, he explained he was a better than average artist. He enjoyed drawing. He was pretty good at it. And he thought he was a pretty funny guy, perhaps funnier than most. So he combined those two advantages and probably a boatload of persistence and dedication to make a truly unfair advantage in Dilbert, one of the most successful comic strips of all time. So what few things are you better than average at? How could you combine those? And what can you do that other people can't or won't? I want to start off with four common unfair advantages and then dive into 10 of mine that I think have helped me. The first is experience or skills. And I was blessed to get experience in several helpful areas early on, including sales. I sold paint jobs door-to-door, which was a humbling experience, to say the least. I had experience in Google AdWords from an early age, which meant I didn't have to wait for or rely on organic traffic for my original side hustle. I could profitably buy it from day one. And I had experience in blogging. Starting in 2009, I had started a personal blog Years before I ever thought of Side Hustle Nation, it was a creative outlet for me. I really enjoyed writing. That gave me familiarity with WordPress, which obviously has come in handy, and just gave me tons of practice for creating content, even though nobody really ever read that site. There was no consistent theme or reason for somebody to read it. But your existing experience and knowledge, those are things that are unique to you and probably an unfair advantage you can use in building your business. One thing to note here, too, 
is that deep subject matter expertise can be helpful in starting a side hustle, but certainly isn't required. There are tons of examples of this in the archives, including Chris Schwab's cleaning business, episode 295, John Wilker's pallet flipping business, episode 274, and Jessica LaRue's Amazon reselling business, that was episode 326. No special experience required, just, hey, playing matchmaker in a lot of cases and finding where to find these deals. On the other hand, if you look at somebody like Nico Mendoza's 3D printing business, where he's making digital files for costume armor, there's a certain level of expertise to do that. Or Nate Dodson's microgreens course. He could teach that because he'd done it himself. But what experience do you bring to the table? What problems or challenges have you overcome in your own life? Could you help others do the same? That's common unfair advantage, number one, your existing experience or skills. Okay, so back to the common unfair advantage. The first one was the skills or experience advantage. The second one is your network. You know, it's not what you know, it's who you know, right? Your existing network, however small it may be, can be an incredibly valuable resource to lean on when you're starting your business. It's also something that's entirely unique to you. No one else has the exact same network. How this might work is simply telling your connections what you're up to. You're not likely to sell to them directly, maybe you will, but by sharing your work, you put yourself in a position to earn referrals. Maybe they can introduce you to somebody who could use your help or to somebody who could help you. I've relied on my network as an unfair advantage for literally decades. My first couple jobs in high school were shelving books at the library and working as a cashier at the Mongolian Grill. We ate so much good food there, man. But peel it back a layer, my mom worked at the library and one of my best friends worked at the restaurant. Now, it's not like these were crazy competitive jobs, but do you think that helped in getting an interview? Of course it did. Similarly, a friend of mine in college opened the door to my corporate job. I wasn't amazing at that job, an advantage I'll get to later, but I'm still grateful for the experience. When I launched the podcast, the first few guests were people I already knew. And then I asked them, who else should I talk to? And then it spidered out from there. To market the show in the early days, I went through my Gmail contacts, I can't remember if I've talked about this, and messaged people one by one to let them know about it. My email list for the site, for the blog, was 11 people. But Over the years, there were hundreds of other people I'd interacted with that I could re-engage. So we all have a network. It doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to be famous. It doesn't have to be this awkward, one-sided, sales-pitchy relationship. But these are people who already know you. They at least care a little bit about you. They're probably willing to help you out if it's a fit and if you ask. So we all have a network. That's common unfair advantage number two. The third common unfair advantage is money. Not everyone is starting on equal ground when it comes to money. While I didn't have a huge nest egg, I mean, I was like 22 when I started my uh, original online business, I had a little savings from working through school, and I didn't have any debt, which is another advantage I'm going to touch on later. I had a job, and I had a reasonably inexpensive lifestyle, and I had time to build something. Now, others approach side hustles with more money than time. This is the investor approach. This is the Ace Chapman approach. How do I buy cash flow, right? Or more recently, the Stacy Caprio approach. How can I buy enough cash flow to leave my job? That was episode 323. Definitely check that one out if you missed it. 
Thankfully, most of the side hustle business models we cover can get off the ground for a few hundred dollars or less, but I would be remiss to leave money off of this list because it's often a factor. So that's common unfair advantage number three. The fourth is being alive right now. How lucky are we to be alive right now? I'm going to see how many Hamilton references I can sneak into this episode. In our pockets, we have access to all the world's information and we can connect with people in an instant, even if they're thousands of miles away. We have tools and apps and markets that just never used to exist. Individual sellers can get shelf space on the world's largest stores. You have the same publishing power that major media companies have. Getting online has never been easier or cheaper. I get to talk to you every week from my kid's bedroom closet. How incredible is that? The gatekeepers are gone. I see all today's technology as a major unfair advantage for entrepreneurs now versus even just 15 or 20 years ago. The tools may change, the tools will change, but the fundamentals stay the same. A business is just a problem-solving machine. That's it. Who do you help? How do you help them? How do you connect with those customers? How do they pay you? If you can answer those questions, you're off to the races. The next 10 unfair advantages are ones I think specifically helped me in my entrepreneurial journey, and you may share some of these as well. I don't share these to brag, but for transparency, more to you know pull back the curtain, because like I said, there's a backstory behind every business. I didn't start from scratch. I had a few things, a lot of things really working in my favor. The first was good health. You know, I'm a little bit stuffed up today, but aside from a few random injuries, I've been fortunate to be pretty healthy. I don't have any chronic issues that prevent me from being physically or mentally able to work. And this is also something that I work on almost daily in terms of the exercise I do, in terms of the food that I eat. That's number one is good health. Unfair advantage number two for me is a good general education. My parents raised my brother and I in a good school district. We were encouraged and expected to do well in school. But more important than any particular topic we covered in school, our childhood education instilled the excitement of learning. It taught us we were capable of the most important skill of all, the skill of learning new skills. And there was lots of opportunity to practice reading, writing, math. Those are the things that I still use every day. Unfair advantage number three for me is a solid financial education. And by that, I don't mean I was learning day trading in fifth grade, but I do think I had a few unfair advantages when it came to learning about money. The first part of my financial education was simply being encouraged to earn money. That meant mowing lawns, babysitting, selling candy at summer camp, or even trying to sell baseball cards at the end of the driveway. And my only customers were my friends who were equally broke, so that didn't work out too well. But those types of micro-entrepreneurial ventures were encouraged. You want money? Go earn it, kid. I remember getting all excited about certain baseball cards where the Beckett price guide, I don't know if they still print these, said the cards were worth like 10 or 20 bucks. And then my dad takes me down a peg. He says, look, it's only worth that much if I could find a buyer willing to pay that much. It wasn't something I loved hearing at the time, but it was a little dose of reality, a little dose of truth. That was probably good for me. In high school, we were expected to work, especially during the summers. And my best gigs were that library gig and then cashiering at the Mongolian Grill, which had the advantage of a boatload of free food as well. So being encouraged to earn money and then also being encouraged to invest money. 
in middle school, dad set me up with a brokerage account, and I think he seeded it with around $1,000, or maybe that was my savings as well. This was the late 90s NASDAQ boom, so it soon doubled, which got me really excited about the market. And then it crashed, which made me a little more hesitant about the market. But seeing both the ups and downs was important. In high school, one of my math teachers took it upon himself to teach us the power of compound interest and dollar cost averaging. Shout out to Mr. Craig Torgett at Issaquah High. He was also my driver's ed teacher. I doubt that he remembers me, but I definitely remember him in this lesson. You know, we were probably learning about exponents and, you know, it was a real life way to work them in. But over time, he showed us you could amass a pretty good fortune just socking away a couple hundred dollars a month, especially if you started early, the power of compound interest. Where he stopped short was the end game or the 4% rule for early retirement. I don't know if that would have been motivating or discouraging to a bunch of high schoolers, but I'm certain if I had learned it at 17 and not 30, I would have made a few choices differently in between. But that was the investing piece of it. On credit cards and debt, mom and dad added us to their credit cards when we were just 12 or 13. It was for emergencies only, but we learned that it wasn't just like this magical free money device. Whatever we bought, we paid them back. And then when I turned 18, they suggested I get a credit card of my own to start building my own credit. It's complete opposite from what many parents would say, oh, credit cards are evil. We don't trust you. You're going to rack up all this debt. And building that credit actually came in handy when I went to buy my first investment property a few years later. And the next one I have under financial education is frugality. Looking back, I think mom and dad were more well-off than they let on, or maybe it's just that they're empty nesters now, or the market's been good to them. But growing up, they were always really intentional with how they spent their money. Maybe it's the the positive way to, to frame it. They didn't buy fancy clothes or drive fancy cars. When we traveled, we usually stayed in timeshare condos, which was cool because we had more space than a hotel room. For a kid, that meant not always getting what we wanted, the cool new toy or the shoes everyone else was wearing. That's hard for a second grader when your friends have the Reebok pump shoes with the basketball thing or the you know new Nike Airs. And mom and dad are like, look, you're in second grade. You don't need $100 sneakers, even if your friends do. You're going to outgrow them in six months. And that was hard, but it was important because it showed me that you're going to be okay without that stuff. Instead, they take us skiing on rented gear, of course, until we stopped growing, or, you know, we'd go hiking or swimming. They were always savers, and they kind of passed that value along through their actions. And then the final point that I have under financial education is the attitude that it's only money. I remember one time when we were camping in Oregon and pulling out of the campground, dad backs the car into another car that was parked behind him. Crunch! And he's frustrated with this mistake, obviously in the days before backup sensors and backup cameras, and the body shop was going to be a few hundred dollars. Still, he took the attitude that, eh, it's only money. A few days of work is going to cover it. And that stuck with me, that money isn't a finite resource like time. You could always make more. So those were kind of some of the early childhood and teenage childhood financial education moments that kind of stood out and perhaps gave me an unfair advantage going forward. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time 
and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over three and a half million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Advantage number four for me was just simply living in America. Being born and raised in the U.S. is an unfair advantage all by itself. The biggest reason for that is the red tape and investment required to start a business is super low relative to some other spots in the world. And because many companies and marketplaces are based here, the side hustle landscape, I think, is easier to access. Like, I'll get messages from readers and listeners in some parts of Africa. They're young, scrappy, and hungry entrepreneurs And even though the business they want to pursue is location independent, they're discriminated against because of their geography. That's frustrating, and that's something that I'm grateful I didn't face when I was starting out. Unfair advantage number five for me is no debt. Entering adulthood debt-free was a huge unfair advantage. I paid for school with a combination of scholarships, part-time work, and help from mom and dad. There's no question, had I come out with a mountain of debt the way many graduates do, my willingness to quit my job might have been a little different. It would have just added to the monthly burden I'd have to cover with the business income. And super grateful for not having to worry about that. Unfair advantage number six is a supportive partner and a supportive partner with a stable job. So Bryn and I just celebrated 20 years together. And yes, if you want to do some math on that. That means we started dating when we were 15 and 16. So in addition to being the ultimate productivity hack, a super romantic joke I know I've made before, just think of all the time and money we save, not trying to find someone else. That level of stability and support is a major unfair advantage that I recognize a lot of people don't have. So I'm really lucky in that sense. She's always been thoughtful and encouraging of my various entrepreneurial ventures. 
I remember a particularly low point where my shoe business just wasn't working. The site was having technical challenges. The ads were getting more expensive. All this different stuff was kind of combining. And I actually dug up my old resume file on the computer, and it was a major disappointment, the prospect of having to go out and get a real job again. After I tasted freedom for a few years, that was a tough pill to swallow. But Bryn said, look, don't do that. You'll figure this out. And she was right. She was willing to wait for it. It just needed a little more time, time that we could thankfully afford because we were living below our means and had a savings cushion. Unfair advantage number seven was no kids, at least at the beginning. This one could go either way as an advantage or a disadvantage because I feel like I've definitely become more focused and effective with my work time since becoming a parent. But early on, being childless meant lower overhead in both time and expenses. Any move I made was inherently less risky then because I didn't have any other mouths to feed. When Tim Ferriss talks about fear setting, which is a great exercise, life's a lot less scary when you only have to worry about yourself. Now, kids can be a major motivating factor to build a more flexible schedule, to spend more time with them, but I'm just happy I started when I did, long before they were even a thought. Obviously, I love my boys and can't imagine life without them, but they do give me a completely new level of respect for all the side hustling parents out there. Unfair advantage number eight is a worst case scenario that wasn't that bad. You know, what if my original side hustle failed? What if all that effort was wasted? Well, I would have just kept working my job and tried something new. You know, it was low risk. Like Richard Branson said, business opportunities are like buses. There's always another one coming. Even after I quit, my worst case scenario, if everything fell apart, wasn't life-threatening. So what's your honest worst case scenario? And if it happened, what would you do? Again, I encourage you to check out Tim Ferriss's fear-setting exercise. Here's just one question from it. Quote, define your nightmare, the absolute worst thing that could happen if you did what you're considering. What doubt, fears, and what-ifs pop up as you consider the big changes you can or need to make? Envision them in painstaking detail. Would it be the end of your life? What would be the permanent impact, if any, on a scale from 1 to 10? Are these things really permanent? How likely do you think it is they would actually happen? End quote. For me, an unfair advantage was a worst-case scenario that really wasn't so bad. Hopefully, in going through this and practicing the side hustle method of building a business without a lot of risk, yours isn't so bad either. Unfair advantage number nine for me was a job. It might seem counterintuitive that having a job was an unfair advantage, but hear me out on this. In my case, my steady paycheck gave me money to invest in developing my side hustle, and my limited after-work hours made me more focused and productive during that time. The job in my case, also happened to be on the road a lot and on the other side of the country from most of my family and friends. So that isolation probably helped in the early days of building my side hustle because it meant I had more free time. There's a couple more components of this job that I think were unfair advantages for me too. The first one was that I wasn't amazing at it. That was definitely one factor that made it easier to walk away from that job. I didn't love it and I wasn't that great at it and definitely didn't see myself climbing the corporate ladder. The official scouting report on me when I changed offices was, he'll never be an all-star. That's what my new boss told me as we were driving over the San Mateo Bridge. Not sure why he told me that, maybe for motivation, 
in any case, when the shoe business got to the point where it was paying my bills, that was an exciting moment. That would be enough. The entire day job salary was gravy. So I wasn't amazing at it. And the second factor here was that it didn't pay exceptionally well. Naturally, the more money you make at your day job, the harder it is to walk away. This is golden handcuffs, I think it's called. Thankfully, my only real corporate job was just an entry-level position that paid around 50000 bucks a year, which was awesome, coming straight out of school. But a bigger salary would have been harder to leave. And I know that's something a lot of side hustlers face. So maybe you can reframe your less than awesome job as an unfair advantage. We've heard from several guests that an awful job was an advantage in that it made them super motivated to build something on the side. An unfair advantage number 10 for me is one that I hesitated to include, but figured that omitting it would have been an oversight, and that's being a white male. I can't quantify what unique advantage this has afforded me over the years, although I'm sure there have been studies done on that. But suffice to say, I recognize not everyone is in the same starting position. So there you have it. Those are four common unfair advantages and 10 that I think have specifically helped me out. But what unfair advantages do you have working for you? Which ones could you build over time? My guess is you have several of the same ones on my list. And if not, potentially a host of others you can use or combine, Scott Adams style. Remember, you're never really starting from scratch. Hopefully, just thinking about this stuff generated some gratitude in your mind, gets the ideas flowing a little bit. It certainly did for me. You'll find the notes, links, and the full text summary from this episode at sidehustlenation.com slash unfair. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen, and I'll catch you in the next edition of The Side Hustle Show. Hustle on.